Welcome to Firing Pin Leadership, your podcast about leadership development with an emphasis on growth and influence. While each episode centers on public service, discussions cover what works and what doesn't to guide and support your leadership acumen. I'm your host, BJ King. In this episode, I talk with Mike Hess. Mike is a 20-year veteran of law enforcement with experience in corrections, patrol, investigations, and now patrol captain. He has held various supplementary positions to include CERT team member and canine handler. Mike has also held the ranks of corporal and sergeant in patrol and while in investigations division, sergeant and operations sergeant. Welcome, Mike Hess. What got you into law enforcement? Why choose to go into gun carrying job? So I can say as, as I was younger, I didn't really respect or look up to law enforcement uh, for my own personal reasons. But as I grew older, I felt there was a need for that respect. And as I, I did get older, I was able to do some ride-alongs and see exactly what being a police officer meant. And that inevitably is what led me to, to move on from a career in retail management to, to get into law enforcement. And at some point, you just get burnt out on retail and you look mm-hmm. for other options. And it was a good option at the time. What was the drive in order to progress up with the sheriff's office to ultimately be a captain right now? You know, when I started in this job, I had no idea what it meant to be a sergeant or a captain. I had no idea of what they did. I didn't understand there were different divisions within the department. So when I was hired into corrections and I could see the other working, daily working abilities of these other divisions, it was very intriguing. Uh, for, for whatever reason, I'm the type of person, I, I don't want to know my job, but I also want to know your job and everyone else's job. And that's really what drove me to move up and get out of corrections. And inevitably, working in corrections for 16 months, uh, it was just, quite honestly, it was boring. So, and, and you quickly learn you have a drive to go do cop-like activities, to do those things, to answer calls, to build community relationships. So that's what drove me to get out to patrol, even though it was scary at the time. Mm-hmm because you have no idea what to expect. And then to go ahead and take on those other responsibilities, you said canine and corporaling and then became sergeant and then detective and now captain. Why move up? Why, what was the major motivation for you? For me, I mean, it's quite easy to say that you just become stagnant in your position and you need greater responsibility and greater challenges. Um, but you also realize that to move forward in your career, meaning typically financial reasons, mm-hmm. You, you need that ability to step up entailed financial gain. And the only way to get that outside of annual raises was to do that and to work hard. And I recognized that quite early on that it did require hard work to even gain a little bit of promotion. And I was lucky in my career that the corporal was a new position to the department. So when that came about uh, very early on in my patrol career, I was able to get that as well as canine almost simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So that, that happened. And of course, with that came what you're looking for, you're looking for a little bit of recognition, different avenues to show your skills, and you get to present it to members of leadership. What's your perspective of leadership that you have experienced and look to echo for those that you guide? So my perspective honestly has changed over the years. Initially you think at a young age, I'm the boss, you need to do what I say because I'm the boss. It doesn't take real long to figure out that is just not true. Um, so to learn that as a young person was really, really valuable. And I don't think a lot of leaders recognize that early on. They, they instill, I'm the boss, do it because I said so. But I also learned early on that there has to be a sustained accountability, not doing that or relying on the same people to do the same things all the time and allowing 
folks to get by on a daily basis with not doing what is expected is detrimental to a team. And I could see that very early on in law enforcement career, because let's be honest, every every work environment has that one or two people that just doesn't seem to do what everyone else does. So having that accountability was was very important for me as I moved forward. Another perspective that I had on leadership was really you have to understand your ability. I don't believe in the, the part that everybody's a natural born leader, but there are some people that are really good at it simply because they're personable, they have experience, whatever the trait may be. So ability, whether it's learned or natural, is important in that position. From what you just described, for the ideal thought of what you are have experienced, what is the transgression? What is the opposite that you have experienced that is in conflict with what you just shared? If you can describe the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. So, I mean, the other opposite end would be those leaders that really, you know, walk around with a heavy iron fist, uh, that are really heavily, they lean heavily on discipline versus teaching. And I'll say that's one of the things I've learned in my career, because as you would know, very early on, I, I was I was easy to get along with, but I was very strict in policy rules and expectations. I didn't vary a whole lot. So over my career and as I've grown, I've recognized there has to be flexibility in an area that I, I did, wasn't flexible before. So I really instilled that disciplinary and attitude and changed it to still have high expectations. But if you develop more of a teaching attitude, that will help develop the people below you. So like in my current position, I've had this conversation with the sergeants and other leaders below me that if I develop my mentality into a teaching philosophy, not only will they grow to where they're, they have the ability one day to do my job and they keep that same philosophy to their people they can now develop their people to do their job. And what no one recognized is everybody's job becomes so much easier because we've essentially created a level plane of knowledge for everyone that we, we now expect everyone to be at. So then if I know what I'm doing, my sergeants already know what they're doing and their people already know what they're doing, my daily responsibilities and problems per se are, are just gone. Uh, it's easier to lead a team that's already moving forward than drag a team that is heavy in, in the end. The, and that's been my philosophy so far in the three months as a captain is, is simply that. And I think it's gone well. I think everybody's been really receptive to it. Uh, the morale seems to have gone up. People that I've talked to have been appreciative of the mentality that it's not about telling you what you're doing wrong. It's about explaining how to do it right. And people really, really appreciate that. And it's not also done in a demeaning way. So they, they feel better about themselves. And, and the feeling that you're learning something versus being told you're doing something wrong is completely different. Mm -hmm. And you see that in productivity. We see that in a lot of different platforms. Do you think you could supervise yourself as if there was a clone of you? Do you think you could supervise yourself from when you were younger, corporal and sergeant? Yes. I don't see any issue with that. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So the one thing I've tried to do is I recognized, at least early, I've always been good at it, and I'm not saying because this is very cliche, that you're good at reading people. It's not about reading them. It's getting to know them and understand their livelihoods, what they deal with at home, how they perform at work. Is there something at home that really affects their work performance? Some people had it. Some people didn't. So I was, I was fortunate that I, I tried to build those relationships with each person on the shift to understand like, hey, if you're having a bad day, 
it's easy to see. And then when you understand a person, you understand why they have faults or why they do things the way they do. And you were really, I don't want to say a test case, but you're, you're a case that I use to this day. Like we had a relationship that if I knew you were having a bad day, there were some keywords I could say to you and talk to you. And all of a sudden you weren't having as bad of a day as you were. Uh, meaning at work, not at home. Right. I, I had right. no, yeah. no effect of that, yeah. but yeah. just it, there was a way, and it was just through knowing you as a person versus knowing you as a an employee mm -hmm. per se. In your world of learning how to lead, what was there a time where it was painful, or you ended up finding consequences that were way further than what you expected? The like, man, that went further than what I thought for the effort of what I put into and the the results of what I was looking into, that went a lot better or on the opposite end, ooh, that's going to hurt later. Like, how do you mean? Not me, but influence somebody and all of a sudden it went further than what you thought. And it's like, man, that was really effective in that influence that I imparted on them. Is there a story where that happened where I was like, man, that is further than what I thought? Yeah, I, I mean, over the course of my career, there's been a couple of people, again, you kind of hang your hat that, yeah, I'll build this relationship with this person, I'll get to know them, and then I'll understand how to deal with them or work with them, etc. There, there have been a couple of instances where, for whatever reason, even through communication, working with somebody, whatever, that you just don't build those relationships. Mm -hmm. And then, so if you kind of, how do I want to say, like, if you, I don't want to say treat everybody the same, but if you work with everybody the same and you expect the same results, it just simply isn't going to happen. So there have been a few people through my career that you try to treat somebody or work with somebody the same manner that you work with someone else, meaning whether it's through problems or whatever the case may be, and it just goes completely wonky because it's not what you're expecting, that they had a, an opposite reaction to what you thought. In both of the instances I'm thinking of, while my intentions were good, the relationship ended up souring simply because I would say I responded in a different manner than, than how they thought, or I led in a different manner than what they they felt was best for them, or, or I just wasn't clear in what I was asking, whatever the case may be, that the relationship soured just based on how I presented myself and what I asked of them. Mm -hmm. And then that's part of the growth process that you learn. What takeaways do you have for leadership investment that you're looking at for others to consider from the teenager and the hesitant of law enforcement, but likes the authority to the academy cadet that people aren't sure are going to be able to survive for graduation or get employed. What takeaway do you have? Can you impart that you'll be good? What what sort of influence or words to support for those that that are thinking? and a glimmer of what law enforcement could be that maybe someday your employee. So, you know, doing some of the new hire process that I used to do for the years, you see a lot of candidates for various positions and you kind of get a good snapshot of what they want and what they think. And a lot of those are two completely different things. So the biggest advice I could say to someone right out of the bat is figure out who you are as a person. Once you realize your strengths and your weaknesses, just like the cliche question that's in every new hire interview, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Most people give a mechanical answer. But if you really understand who you are and know your strengths and weaknesses, 
you will be successful in law enforcement as long as you're working to improve yourself and gain the knowledge that you don't know. If you're open to those things and you don't close down, you'll, you'll rapidly advance because you'll just become a sponge of knowledge and you'll be more personable in my opinion because you're receptive to everything. Um, in, in this job, as you know, if you come into it thinking that you know everything, you, it's very quickly you, you become a put off to other employees and you don't learn anything because you're, you're so conformed into your opinions and thoughts that you're not open to the new things that are changing. And in this job, things do change. I don't want to say monthly, but it, it certainly seems that way, whether we have case law, uh, statute changes, whatever the case may be you really have to be open to those changes. So just know who you are as a person, understand your shortcomings and your strengths, work on building both, and that'll, I think, develop you into a, a really good employee and probably set a good platform for leadership. Okay. You bring up adaptability. What other characteristics are pivotal and very beneficial, not only for the potential employee, but also the current employee in order to succeed in developing the characteristics? So like the characteristics of a, a good leader is kind of yes, what you're going yes. for. Yes, and, and developing that, yes. Kind of to touch on what I was saying, like really to be humble and, and accept the leadership and knowledge that older people have. Like I was part of the group, you know, you always made fun of the old guys, you're mm -hmm. the old guy and you're stuck in these old ways. Mm -hmm. But it's really easy to understand why they become that way. Like some of the quote unquote old guys don't hang around young guys mm -hmm. uh, and vice versa. So just be humble in who you are and understanding your knowledge and how to expand it. Um, like we talked about the adaptability, be very flexible in who you are, you know, and, and a respect comes along with it. If you respect others and yourself, that also will go a long way. It's very cliche to say, treat others how you want to be treated, but it really, it's really about respect and understanding who you are, meaning where you came from and how you grow up. Cause I find that to be a bigger trigger in this job than anything is really how you, how you grew up and the values that were instilled upon you as a younger age, at a younger age, carries over to now and how you've grown. And that is how you treat people or how you view people. Uh, some folks, how they grew up, they can't relate to the very poor people, mm -hmm. um, not because they don't want to, they just don't understand it. So if you're open to understanding, and I guess really it's about empathy, is just really being open with yourself, it'll go a long way. What do you have to say for those that are having a hard time holding the line of wanting to keep their job and but they're not sure because the time, sign of the times of cops getting fired, cops getting prosecuted, what is your suggestion for them to consider for they're good people, they have good intentions, you can weather through this. What, what do you have to say to them? That's really a tough question because it's easy to you know sit back and judge someone. Really, you know, just hold the line and stay the course simply because everything does work out in the end. And what I mean by that, as long as there's you maintain your knowledge and your training, keep up to date on the new new status of new statutes, laws, policies, procedures, all of those goodies, that'll keep you in the in the in the green area. So that that's probably the most important part and understand law enforcement is in a nationwide shortage. Literally every agency that I know of is, is short people, a lot of people. So, but I think we're starting to see a rebound from that uh, by higher attendance in police academies, at least locally, 
So I, I think we're going to have a rebound of that. People have understood that it was kind of a scary thing to be a law enforcement officer. Um, but I, I think they're also seeing that those major problems aren't as widespread as it seems. So I think once everyone recognizes that it really is about training and knowledge and not any other factors that it's easier to maintain your job and, and keep going in the direction you're going. I mean, if there was one thing I'd like to instill, and it's one thing that I've learned, and it was fairly recently, quite honestly, is when you're a leader, you have to lead. And that's easy to say, hard to explain. But really what it comes down to is accountability cannot be the only way that you lead people. It's easy for me to hold different supervisors accountable for their actions or how their, their people's actions. But overall, that just doesn't change anything. So the, the leader, meaning in my position, I need to lead by example to the, the sergeants below me, as well as holding them accountable. So it's not just about accountability and you do this because I said so. I need to lead by example. I need to lead by knowledge and hold them accountable. So I think that's, there's a multifacet component to leadership that it can't be just one thing or the other or three things. It really needs to be kind of broad spectrum on, on and encompass everything that you know, meaning you need to be personable. You need to be open with people. You need to understand their needs and wants. You have to lead. You have to hold them accountable. And you have to be a disciplinarian. And there's a fine line between each one of those. Uh, and successful people maintain that on a daily basis. Unfortunately, young leaders and unsuccessful leaders sometimes have some of those qualities, but not all the qualities, or don't know how to navigate through each one of those. You said earlier that when you were younger that you were more policy-driven by the word and all that. Do you see that you are still that intense on keeping to what the policy says and working solely within the statute and constitution and, and black and white, so to say, are you still that way? And is that something that you would want your supervisors to continue as well? Yeah, make no mistake about it. Constitution, statutes, policies and procedures, um, best practices, those are, those are black and white in my opinion. And I operate under that fashion. What I was getting at is there's flexibility on how you do your job within policy. So a lot of folks like to see a checklist of how do I do this? Well, it's not A, B, C, D every single time. Sometimes it's only A, B, and E. And as long as someone recognizes that they have flexibility in their, in their job, as long as it falls within those policy guidelines, it's fine. And I, I like to tell people that because a lot of the younger generation doesn't understand that. I don't want to call it common sense, but not everybody understands that if you're going, you know, handling a call in a linear motion, that it's okay to skip steps or reverse some of the steps as long as all the steps are done. And that's what I mean by the flexibility and adaptability. What has hurt? What was the sacrifice that you have found in regards to building up? Two things come to mind. You have family and friends. And what I mean by that is how do I say it? Like it was, it's easy to be work friends with people at work. I didn't necessarily feel comfortable becoming close friends with people I work with simply because I was afraid that once I did get into a leadership position that I would have trouble basically separating those two. Mm -hmm. And I know that that is a common issue in, in this line of work. So while I wasn't trying to be off-putting to people, I didn't regularly hang out with, with coworkers outside of work or or go do things or take mm -hmm. trips or any of that. 
So I feel like I did sacrifice that because I see people with those close relationships and, you know, how a good friend of theirs works on another shift or works with them, whatever. And, and that's really, it's envious, but I do know I sacrificed that simply because I knew that that may not be a good idea in the long run. And the other side is family. Like, it's not about leadership at the time. It's about showing yourself worthy and increasing your work performance. And some of that led to the overtime, the call outs, things of that, you know, taking on those additional assignments as they come up, which does sacrifice a little bit of family time. Now, make no mistake about it. My family did not come second uh, and I did get the quality time that I needed. But there were times, you know, maybe on a holiday where I volunteer to work for someone just so, you know, they may have the Fourth of July off or Christmas off or something like that. And those those times, my family was very understanding. So uh, I feel feel great about that. My son was definitely understanding of it as long as we got our quality time. So I feel like that's a biggest sacrifice that a lot of people make on a daily basis in leadership areas are, are those two things. Is there any way to compare the sacrifices that you brought up of family and friends? Is there any sort of correlation, any sort of similar world if you were to stay in your previous profession in merchandising retail? Or is it? Yeah, it, it's probably very similar because just like if you're in, in retail management, you're with your work folks just as much as you are your family. So it, it could be said in the same way. Um, but I feel like in my own opinion, it was easier to make friends at the retail level okay. uh, than it was with law enforcement. Because at the retail level, generally, there is a larger variety of people that you're exposed to on a daily basis uh, simply because they employ a greater amount of people to maintain a store. And this, I guess my experience is dealing with a, a little, little bit bigger box chain store, not Walmart. So, and that's where I would say that like, I, I seen more people, even though they were the same people, I seen more people on a daily basis to where in this department, I seen the same, you know, dozen people like every day. So I, I think that's, even though the experiences I think at the long run are the same, I didn't feel the challenges were as great in retail management just because I know mistakes are made, but you don't think of retail management as being a mistake-driven field. Mm -hmm. um, and if you do mess up, what do you mess up in the retail world? It's a little bit and not as catastrophic, I would say, as something in law enforcement, simply because if I make a mistake, that could have catastrophic consequences on different levels. So not, not to downplay the retail management level side of it, it's simply just saying the mistakes are different. And so building those bridges in retail likely had less consequence than doing so on the law enforcement side. Third year, a large metropolitan cop that is hearing this in West Virginia, Florida. What advice, what advice do you have for them, for that third or fourth year cop that's in? You know, the, the only thing I, that comes to mind quickly is the third or fourth year, just understand you don't know everything. So understand there's a lot more knowledge coming your way and you're gonna grow dramatically in that fifth, sixth, seventh year. Okay. Um, so continue to expand your knowledge, continue to work hard. And if you're not already in a leadership position, typically by those five to seven years is where you start seeing those entry level spots open up and then your opportunity for growth really becomes apparent and you'll quickly learn who you are and how you're gonna be able to move up through the leadership chain. What is the hardest perspective of guiding others, the hardest part? To me, the hardest part is always finding 
that happy balance of being overbearing or not bearing enough. It's are you assertive enough or not assertive enough? And then also determining at what point do you just need to say it how it is. For the most part, you're, you're politically correct in a sense and try not to hurt others' feelings. There are some times when everybody has emotions or something has gone really awry and you just need to address the situation for what it is. And you need to make yourself very clear on the point you're trying to get across. So finding that happy medium on how to balance those three things is sometimes difficult because while it may be a big deal to somebody, it may not be a big deal to you. So others may judge you for not being responsive enough. And what might be a big deal to the leader may not be a big deal to the employee. And so if you come across as overbearing or over assertive, then people really take offense to that. So I I think there's a fine line in between those things. In regards to thinking strategically of where you're at now for those under your guidance, I break it down into the the operational level, the tactical level, the how, and then the strategic, the why, in order to get everything else operational in order. What are you looking at strategically for the staff, the division, within the mission of the department that you work for? What is it that you're looking to align for improvement strategically for the long run for the next 145 years that the sheriff's office is intact? So the main thing that I was very, very adamant about when I took this position was to develop your relationship with the supervisors. And as I talked about earlier, I want to develop them to a point they feel like they could do my job. And so if I instill them, and if we pass that down to their employees on each shift, like I said before, everybody's job gets easier. That's really strategically what I'm looking at is is growth and development, not discipline. Obviously discipline comes at, mm-hmm. at, a, at a time that it's needed, but really it is, my main focus is on development and knowledge and making sure everyone has that that same platform. How hard do you think that is going to be? I think it's very hard. And I say that because we've had shortcomings in training, which every every agency, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. where it's retail or, or law enforcement, has shortcomings in training at some point. And you realize policies become archaic, training methods become archaic, technology changes, policies, statutes, everything changes. And I think where we are is kind of at a transition point, at least for our department, that our knowledge needs to catch up to where we need to be to make sure we're trained adequately. And I guess what I'm saying is not that we've had technology pass us up or things are archaic. It's more about our training methods and ideologies have to change. We've gone from a standardized policy-driven like training process, which is fine and it's adequate and it meets liability needs, but we haven't been as flexible to think outside the box and still grow people and train them as we have been. We've never, I mean, we've never been. And I think we're at a time that you have to be flexible and you have to think outside the box. We have to figure different avenues of teaching somebody straight out of the academy that's wanting to do this job. It can't just be strictly, here's your policies, here's your procedures, this is your knowledge mastery checklist, let's go to FTO. Um, we, we just need to think outside the box and build different levels of training. So what I've instilled into the current FTOs in our department simply is that I want you to make sure these people know everything. I want to make sure you document everything that needs documented. 
but I also want you to teach people what it means to be in law enforcement and how you handle people, not necessarily how you handle the call, but how you handle people. How do you talk to them on a daily basis? Recognize that people that live in a certain part of the county just have an overall different, I don't want to say attitude or mentality. It's like we get in, we have a, a very good distinction between rural and urban. Mm-hmm. There is a different perspective as opposed to talking with someone, a young person in the city, as opposed to the grandma out in the county that lives on the farm. She has a different perspective on the expectation on how we present ourselves within our capacity. And you hit it right on the head, like the the perspectives of different members of the community based on their current situation or what they do for a living is, is just different. And we just have to recognize that. So, like you said, the, the grandma mm-hmm. is going to treat you different than, you know, an 18-year-old in the city. That is just a witness and would rather not yeah. interact with us. Yeah, some folks just don't have any interest in talking to law enforcement. And the 80-year-old grandma might invite you in for coffee and cookies that she just made. And knowing how to respond to each is very difficult. And quite honestly, that was a challenge I faced young in my career was I've been on those calls where it's an older lady you know, she grew up during the Depression. She understands what it means. She respects law enforcement. She just has literally no idea what you do. So she invites you in, and it is rude if you say no to them. Mm-hmm. So to understand mm-hmm. just going in and building that relationship is very important. It's just as important as talking to the 18-year-old in the city who has a, maybe a negative view on law enforcement. Both of those carry the same weight because you can quickly sway someone just in sitting down and having a conversation with them. It's weird. Like, you know, it's never comfortable to have to sit down in a stranger's house in full uniform and not only visit with them, but eat something they're giving you, yeah. which is, which everyone's hesitant in this job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, take this cookie and eat it. You're like, I don't know. You and know. you don't want to offend them either. Yeah, and like, then, then you get an other side, you don't want to offend them. <laughs> so you're going to eat the cookie knowing damn well you may not like the cookie, but it, it's just to build that relationship and and ultimately get what you need out of it for whatever reason that you're visiting with them. Hey, I want to thank my guests for their insights on leadership. I also want to thank you, the listeners. Don't forget to follow Firing Pin Leadership on social media, which includes Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Keep in mind, a portion of proceeds goes to ConcernsOfPoliceSurvivors.org. Concerns of Police Survivors provides resources to fallen officers, families, and co-workers to rebuild their shattered lives. COPS offers training and assistance to law enforcement agencies nationwide on how to respond to tragic loss of a member of the law enforcement profession. Take care and God bless.